This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Hoda Asmar, Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of Providence. Hoda, it's a pre- pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Good morning. Hello. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about. There is so much happening in healthcare right now and especially at Providence. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell us just a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, good morning and glad to be here with you and the team. Um, so I am uh, the system chief medical officer for Providence and I lead uh, clinical care and clinical operations. My clinical training is actually in infectious disease. Uh, so I'm someone who trains in internal medicine and infectious disease. And my journey started um, in the Middle East. So I grew up and went to medical school in Beirut, Lebanon. And the reason I mentioned that, because like all of us, we are shaped by our life experiences. And um, living in Lebanon, at the time I was there in medical school, I um, Lebanon was in a civil war for 16 years, and that shaped my early experience as a medical trainee and as a physician. Um, the other experience is I did experience firsthand as a person in my family and background um, uh, significant health inequity, and uh, that was the attraction for me to go into medicine. When I came to the U.S. for training, um, my goal was actually to be in a teaching setting, uh, but life had a different plan. I ended up going to practice in a rural community in northern Michigan and started saying yes uh, to whatever was asked of me. Oh, could you help with this? Could you help with that? And so within my first year in practice, I was um, doing work with public health as a medical director for a 10-county public health Uh, department. I started working with the hospital on infection prevention, employee health, and that's how my journey started as a physician leader and chief medical officer and took me all over the U.S., uh, small and large, highly integrated healthcare systems, rural, urban, teaching, and uh, even um, work with a private equity firm in a pharmacy management um, company. And um, that took me now to being with Providence. And I would say along the way in my journey, my focus has always been on patients and what matters to them and on our caregivers and the people who I work with every day. Wow, that sounds like an amazing journey to get from, you know, where you were in Beirut growing up and then going to medical school during a civil war and from there coming to the U.S. and just really so many doors it seems like opened up to you. But having that patient at heart, I know, is such an important part of healthcare and really vital to, to having great patient care. So when you think about all those different experiences you had, what do you really bring with you to your role now at Providence? How has that been shaped by what you experienced during medical school and beyond? I'm someone who went into medicine I would say for very idealistic reasons. I really wanted to change the world, but mostly as someone who experienced poverty and health inequity, I wanted to give back and I wanted to be the voice of the voiceless, serve others. And I have a strong connection to Providence, its mission and values and team. It speaks to me. It's the way I live my life, serving all, especially the poor and vulnerable. So what I always bring to my day-to-day work, to my team, to how I interact, how I make decisions, 
that we have to remember that we are here to serve and leave a legacy and an impact in the life and well-being of others, be it our patients, our some people don't like to use patients, they say consumers, be it the patient, be it the consumer, be it our communities, and be it our caregivers, especially our caregivers who are in the front line interacting with the patient. So that is my motto and my philosophy and approach to my role and every role I've been in. That's a really great point. And there's so much to think about, especially right now, considering you know the last few years, what we've been through during the COVID-19 pandemic, and now even additional stresses over the past couple of years and trying to figure out what healthcare is going to look like and staff shortages and all those kinds of things. And so considering, you know, your, your work and your focus on both the patient as well as the caregivers, what are some of the biggest issues that you're following in healthcare right now and headed into the new year? Um, as you know, um, you see it every day. Um, it's in all the conversations the challenges we face from a workforce standpoint is dominant. So there is the workforce challenges, and there is frankly the financial stability for healthcare systems and for healthcare in general. So on the workforce side, even before the pandemic, before 2020, we knew that we are facing challenges into the future about how many people are entering the workforce, specifically in healthcare, how do we engage and inspire people to be in healthcare, to stay in healthcare? How do we build what I would say the workforce for the future? So it's much beyond just hiring. It's hiring, aligning, inspiring, and retaining workforce, showing people and the next generation that we care about them and help them build this crisis satisfaction from being in healthcare in that service mentality. And what I see a lot also in the workforce, correct, it's not about the paycheck every two weeks. People are interested that their organizations and systems are doing something around social determinants, diversity and inclusion, health equity, well-being. They care about the environment. So to me, I see the pandemic and the current challenges is one more thing that should drive us to transform around the workforce. Um, at Providence, we're doing lots of work around that retention factor, that inspiration factor, piloting new care models, trying to create what I describe as more choices for people to be in healthcare, but most importantly, stay in healthcare. On the financial side, um, the pandemic unearthed this system that is unstable from financial standpoint. You see it every day in the news, every quarter update. So many healthcare systems are posting losses. Even some who did well, maybe in the early in the pandemic, 2021, and suddenly now you're seeing some of that impact. And it's complex. Part of it, big part of it, is the workforce challenges and premium pay. But also it is telling us that the model we have for the healthcare may be not the model for the future. I see six critical groups or stakeholders in this ecosystem. First and most important, the patients and the community, the people who seek the care or the help or they have a need and they seek us. Then you have the government as government and as a payer, the payers, the providers, the big pharma, 
the device and technology. And to me, for us to get out of this, into this financial stability, to move into that financial stability and sustainability, there is work that needs to be done by each of the stakeholders and by healthcare systems. But there is also a need to work together, all the stakeholders partner together to create a system that is financially stable and takes us into the future. And that takes partnership, transparency, working together, and making sure that whatever we build, it's about the patients and the communities, about the people we serve. That really makes a lot of sense and kind of paints clarity around so many different of the stakeholders in terms of how, you know, the future of healthcare is headed and what we really need in order to um, bring it to a place where it's, again, focused on the patient and really providing the care that you need. Obviously, like you said, health systems need the financial stability in order to move forward, but then they also, to your point earlier, need the healthcare providers, the staff, and the workforce, really that matches um, what that healthcare of the future is going to look like. So I know you mentioned that you have a few different things that you're doing right now and and piloting around um, healthcare workforce and retention. Are you able to share maybe an example of one of those things that's been somewhat successful for you? We're working on making sure we support them in their career growth, maybe further their education. Pushing the envelope, I'm someone who believes we need to make sure we do things differently because we will never have enough people in this space. So the principles of top of license, our um, nursing leadership and chief nursing officer, we're actually piloting what we call a virtual care model in one of our regions where we had the staff on a unit actually look to their workflows and identify areas where we can have a virtual team supporting the underground team in a model that's 24-7. So taking some of these tasks that could be done virtually. The beauty about this pilot we're doing is that it was um, launched by the team on the front line. They decided how they want to pilot it, how they want to organize it, who's going to do what. And it's very early, but our early few weeks into the pilot is showing a promising um, results as far as measures of success. So it's too early for me to tell a lot more than that, but that's the kind of model we're looking for. To me, as chief medical officer and clinical leaders, I want to in, encourage the staff and the frontline caregivers to bring up these new ideas, new ways of doing things. And I intentionally work to keep what I would say an agile and flexible mindset to bring new ideas and pilot them and see what can we do to give people, again, more choices, more options, and more satisfaction in their roles. That's a really great point and example and so helpful to think about in terms of really making sure you're leaving that space for the frontline workers to develop this type of program and really how the virtual care providers can make it shine. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, when you think about where you're at right now, what are you most excited about and what makes you nervous? Um, So I'm someone who's an optimist. I'm always excited about something and Despite all the odds and challenges, I'm actually excited because of those challenges about the potential for us 
to really make some transformational changes. But mostly, I want to use the word hope. Um, I'm mostly hopeful because I believe none of us is alone. So I'm not trying to do something all alone, neither you, neither the next person, the next person. So my excitement and hope comes from this faith in the future and faith in human connections and resiliency and creativity. So to me, it's, it's that constant belief that we can do better and we can lean on each other. So that's my excitement. What I'm nervous about, um, to be frank, what keeps me awake at night mostly is how do I help care for the people who care for our patients? Again, that well-being for our caregivers, for our frontline people who day in, day out, bring it home and take care of people. The other thing that is always on my mind, and I wouldn't say it's nervous, it's just always on my mind, and it's that physician-clinician mindset. And because it's all about the patient, is how can I keep bending the curve on reducing harm and reducing any loss of life? It's that quality and safety component that should be on everyone's mind. And it is on my mind nonstop. Absolutely. That is such an interesting point and great point by you because looking at those caring for the caregivers and then making sure quality and safety, you know, is front and center. Again, I think, especially over the past couple of years, it many times was so hard just to kind of keep up with the fast mm-hmm. pace of everything that was changing in healthcare and all the patients coming in and different things that um, challenges that, you know, caregivers had never seen before. And now all of a sudden, making those adjustments. So, you know, when you think about all of those things coming together and then kind of refocusing, not that quality was ever back of mind, but looking at, you know, what can you really do in order to um, get to the place again where that's, you know, so front and center with everything Mm -hmm. that you're doing. Um, How do you work with your staff and your care teams like that? And at the same time, making sure that, you know, they feel um, like they're cared for in, in their own, um, you know, needs are being met and their wellness is top of mind and so that they can care for their patients too. Yeah, so, um, you know, at the end of each year, like all systems and all teams, you start planning for the next year and what's coming. And we all know what we currently are living in, correct? We still have the challenges of um, the pandemic. Uh, we just talked about the workforce challenges, the financial stability, but also we're in the middle of the viral illness season, correct? We're seeing a very active season with RSV, with the flu, and also another peak of COVID. It may not be like the earlier waves, but it's still um, the COVID numbers are moving up. And so um, there is three things. Um, we are, I call them, it's like they're essential for us to make sure we planning and working in a way that brings a clarity and the results we desire. And it's a clarity of purpose, having very few priorities, the priorities that matter most, and the execution. On the clarity of purpose, for us, for myself and for my team, we know what's our purpose. Our purpose is our mission, to serve all especially the poor and vulnerable. We understand that, we connect to it, 
and our approach to it is authentic. On the prioritization, the current conversation within the team and beyond is, in 2023, we cannot continue to face some very serious challenges, some of what I just described. So our goal is to focus on food priorities that have direct impact on our patients and caregivers and avoid the pile on. What happens to, in healthcare and anywhere else is there is all these new ideas and suddenly you're piling on one more priority, one more thing. And we're empowering each other not to do that. Let's focus on a few things and land them. And here talking about execution. Execution, and I'm not talking about, oh, have few priorities, few goals, and not out of the park. But what's important is to show that all this work has led to results. Where are the results? So we want to be laser focused on those few priorities that matter most to our patients and caregivers and that are aligned with our mission and values and land them in 23. Got it. Absolutely. That is so helpful. And I, I love that kind of making sure you're zeroing in on what's most important, what is going to be so impactful for patients and then executing on those things. I think, you know, looking into next year, like you said, obviously still a lot of challenges going on. And when you think ahead even further, if you're able to in the next mm-hmm. two or three years, is there anything else that you really see that um, effective healthcare will need, healthcare leaders will need in order to be successful? I think um, remembering that we just went through very tough times through the pandemic and people need time to recharge, remembering that it's all about the people around us, Um, be understanding, be kind, be a giver, and being uh, an authentic leader. Um, This is what I practice and this would be my advice. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Hoda, for being here today and sharing with us on the podcast. This has been an amazing discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you very much. Have a great day.